0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, April 29th, and this is your FT News Briefing. We've got the tale of two big tech stocks and also two currencies that are going in very different directions. One's the U.S. dollar, the other's the yen.
1: The Bank of Japan is effectively throwing its hands up and saying, yep, currency markets, you feel free to send the yen down to a 20 year low and we're going to do nothing about it.
0: Meanwhile, the US economy shrank in the first quarter of this year. Plus, we've got some big news about Twitter. Well, I hope we didn't overstate that. I'm Jess Smith in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Amazon yesterday reported its slowest revenue growth ever in the first quarter of this year. That was due to a drop in online retail sales. The company missed Wall Street's estimates by $4 billion, which really upset investors. Amazon shares sank 10% in after hours trading. Apple, on the other hand, said revenues rose 9% over last year. The standout division was Apple's services, like the App Store and iCloud subscriptions. It had a record quarter. Revenues rose 17 percent. The world's biggest economy shrank for the first time since mid-2020. That was just after the start of the pandemic. In the first quarter of this year, U.S. gross domestic product fell nearly one and a half percent on the year.
2: So the biggest part of the move was driven by the widening of the trade deficit, as well as some effect from lower business inventories.
0: That's the FT's Kate Duguid.
2: The big story, though, is that the trade deficit widened because imports were so high. But what's funny is that uh, those imports were were as high as they were, in part because consumer and business spending continues to be really, really strong. So the headline number kind of masked some of the underlying strength, the continued underlying strength amongst U.S. consumers and businesses.
0: (laughs) So, Kate, does this make it likely that the Fed is just going to move forward with its plan to raise rates and accept a technical recession?
2: So the Fed is um, likely still going to raise interest rates by 50 basis points at their meeting in May. This report shouldn't do anything to dissuade them from that, in part because of this continued strength of the U.S. consumer and of businesses. The report also showed that prices continue to rise, right, that um, we still have inflation at its highest levels in 40 years. And that won't start to change until the Fed raises rates more.
0: Kate Duguid is our U.S. Capital Markets Correspondent. Currency traders are betting that the Fed will continue raising rates well ahead of other central banks. Yesterday, they piled into the dollar and sent the green back to a 20-year high. Japan's currency, meanwhile, sank to a 20-year low. That was after Japan's central bank said it would stick to its plan to not raise rates. To talk more about these currency moves, I'm joined by the FT's Tommy Stubbington. Hi, Tommy. Hi there. Tommy, can you first remind me why currencies go up along with interest rates?
1: Well, so all things being equal, if you want to earn a higher return, you can do so in an economy where where interest rates are higher, basically where you can get more interest on your cash deposits or on your bonds without having to take any extra risk. It's not always that simple, but the basic idea is that the way to boost your exchange rate is to have higher borrowing costs.
0: So how significant is this rise in the dollar, both this latest jump and also the fact that it's at a 20-year high?
1: Well, it's it's very significant on both fronts. I mean, first of all, this has been a, a, a big move since the start of the year against the the other major currencies. I mean, most notably the Japanese yen, as you mentioned. Uh, a lot of this is about the gulf in monetary policy that's expected to open up between the U.S. and the rest, and kind of Japan stands at the other end of that spectrum. The Bank of Japan uh, has had very low interest rates for a very long time and has really doubled down on the idea that it's not going to go anywhere fast. But I mean, also in terms of the level, this is the highest in twenty. 20- years, we didn't get to these levels at the height of the COVID crisis, in the financial crisis, or any of the other periods between 2002 and now when, when the dollar has been very strong.
0: What's the immediate impact of the dollar being so strong?
1: Well, I mean, we've moved from a period when there wasn't much inflation in the world and kind of everybody wanted to have a weak currency. If you have a weaker currency, it helps your exporters, it helps economies by making their goods cheaper for our overseas buyers. Now we have a world of high inflation and everybody is going in the other direction. Everybody is raising interest rates to try and bring down inflation. And part of that is boosting the level of your currency. In this new world of higher interest rates, what this tells us is that nobody can keep up with the Fed. And so for the likes of the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, that could complicate their efforts to bring down inflation.
0: Meanwhile, the yen is going in the opposite direction, and Japan's central bankers aren't doing much to support their currency, are they?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true that the Bank of Japan is effectively throwing its hands up and saying, yep, currency markets, you feel free to send the yen down to a 20-year low, and we're going to do nothing about it. Now, part of the reason that the Bank of Japan can not afford to do that is they don't have the inflation problem that the US has or that the Eurozone has or that the UK has. Inflation has ticked up a bit in Japan, but it's, you know, by everybody else's standards, it's still very, very low. So the Bank of Japan can focus on its job of stimulating the economy by keeping rates low without having to worry too much about fighting inflation.
0: And th- is that a good thing? Uh,
1: Difficult question to answer because, you know, what goes hand in hand with their low inflation is, you know, decades of very, very low growth. I think they would possibly prefer to be in the situation of the Federal Reserve, which definitely has an inflation problem, but at least it has an inflation problem that's related to a strongly growing economy. The first quarter figures notwithstanding, obviously, there was the unexpected decline. I think that the central banks that find themselves in the most difficult position here are the European Central Bank and the Bank of England, where you have an inflation problem, but you have an inflation problem that is happening at the same time as, you know, a pretty nasty hit to growth from the fallout from the war in Ukraine, which has sent oil prices through the roof. You have problems with gas supplies, you know, potentially maybe a European embargo on all Russian gas supplies that makes energy even more expensive. That's really going to hurt growth in these economies at the same time that you see inflation going up and up. And that's a difficult trade off to navigate if you're a central banker, right? Do you focus on inflation and and raise interest rates or do you focus more on growth and and keep them a little lower?
0: (laughs) Tommy Stubbington is the FT's Capital Markets correspondent. Thanks, Tommy.
1: Thank you, too. Thank
3: you.
0: Twitter reported first quarter earnings, revenue and user numbers were both up. But the social media company had something else to say about user numbers. It admitted that it overstated them for the last three years. And it's not the first time. Yesterday's confession just comes at a sensitive time. Of course, the company's in the midst of a deal to go private in a sale to Tesla CEO, Elon Musk. Well, the timing is pretty terrible. That's Tim Bradshaw, our global tech correspondent.
3: The, the margin of error is is not. It's a couple of million at the at the most, um, in some cases less than that, and that amounts to less than 1% of the reported figures previously. So the, the margin of error isn't huge. But when you've just struck a very contentious deal with the world's richest man who has already taken to, shall we say, voicing strong opinions about your business on Twitter, it's kind of bad timing. And you don't really want anything to rock the boat at the moment when it's already being rocked pretty actively by your buyer.
0: So, Tim, are mistakes with user numbers as serious as mistakes with financial or revenue numbers?
3: So the the fact that this has actually happened twice at Twitter over the last few years is something that will raise a question of credibility, the management level, or or perhaps in the kind of finance department uh, among investors. But as it happens, there's only really one investor that Twitter has to satisfy at the moment, and that is Elon Musk. Musk has said that his primary motivation for buying Twitter isn't economic. It's to do with, uh, the, the platform that it provides, the town square of the internet. And these are not things that are generally related to, you know, whether or not the user numbers met the quarterly estimates every three months, which is exactly the kind of quarterly routine and regime that public companies can find it difficult to navigate within when their business is challenged. And part of the reason for Twitter going private is that it provides it an opportunity to transform its business. And Musk has talked about becoming less reliant on advertising and maybe bringing in more subscription-based revenue. It can make that kind of change as a private company without having to answer to Wall Street every quarter.
0: Tim Bradshaw is the FT's global tech correspondent. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Jess. You can read more on all these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and Mark Filippino. I'm Jess Smith, the editor of the briefing and this week's fill in host. We had help this week from Michael Lello, David DeSilva, Silva, Peter Barber, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio, and our theme song is by Metaphor Music.